Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. If we face America's racial history squarely, will it mean that the American project is a failure? Conversely, if we think the American project is worthy of an endeavor, do we have to lie, downplay, or equivocate about our past? We're going to talk about that on today's episode. Happy Thursday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, and thank you for joining us. Yes, from the Stratus IP Studios here in lovely, lovely eastern Indiana. Don't let outdated uh, technology or your cybersecurity threats put your company at risk. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash Stratus IP and get your free business technology uh, consultation today. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash Stratus IP, business technology simplified. All right, folks. Well, hey, thank you for joining us on today's episode. Looking forward to, yes, digging into things. But first, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to one of our awesome sponsors, and that's going to be Right Strategies. Now, folks, if you are a candidate or if you are a small business owner and you are looking for some help to reach where both your voters or your customers are spending their time, well, look no further. Right Strategies, they specialize in the unique challenges that both you're going to face if you're running for political office, but also you're going to face if you're in the world of a small business owner, specifically talking about the digital landscape. With a proven track record of helping clients win their elections, but also help grow their businesses using smart, strategic digital marketing, Right Strategies is the perfect partner to help you reach your goals. With their amazing team of experts, they're going to help you save time and money while amplifying your message to help you win your elections and also win in the marketplace. Also, they have a really cool SMS texting tool with smart strategies that'll give you an efficient, affordable, and smart way to focus your marketing budget by helping you reach thousands of voters and customers. Right Strategies will help you make a powerful impact on the outcome of your elections and your business growth. From social media management to expert graphic design work to marketing your product or campaign or building your brand, Right Strategies can put together a plan that makes sense for you and your goals. And hey, guess what? They're going to do so within your budget. So if you want to learn more about how Right Strategies can help you win your elections and grow your business, head to briannicholshow.com forward slash RS. And this is really cool. You can get your free campaign or a free campaign or marketing plan report card. Yeah. And of course, please do me a favor to make sure you get that. Make sure you let Morgan know and uh, the rest of the Right Strategies team know that I sent you. Uh, one more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash RS. Amplifying your message where voters and customers spend their time. BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash RS. All right, folks. So on to the program today. Looking forward to, uh, yes, digging into specifically uh, what it is that we're going to talk about. Black liberation through using the marketplace. Rachel Ferguson and Marcus Witcher. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. us. Absolutely. Well, thank you for uh, for joining me on today's episode. Looking forward to uh, discussing, yes, black liberation through the marketplace. Now, before we get there, uh, let's do this. Rachel, do us a favor. Introduce yourself to the Brian Nichols Show audience, and then maybe we can go into uh, introducing Marcus and then talk about what brought us into writing this book, Black uh, Liberation Through the Marketplace. Sure. So, Rachel Ferguson, I'm from Concordia University, Chicago. My PhD is in philosophy, so I've always been working on the philosophy of politics and economics. And I'm director of the Free Enterprise Center there at Concordia, Chicago. 
uh, but I live in St. Louis, Missouri. So uh, that's me. All right, Marcus. Hi, I'm Marcus Witcher. I'm a historian. I got my PhD from the University of Alabama, and I work specifically in 20th century American economic, intellectual, and political history. Um, first book was titled Getting Right with Reagan, and I'm really excited to have co-authored this book, Black Liberations in the Marketplace with Rachel. Awesome. And let's talk about uh, this this book, right? Black Liberation in the market uh, through the marketplace. And that's just something that we actually talked about on one of our past episodes. We're talking about the old Black Wall Streets, right? And the idea of trying to get that back into our, our conversation of today, trying to revigorate a, a Black Wall Street. So this seems to be something that, you know, is definitely carrying through the conversation, but there's still stuff that we have to, to work through. And that is a lot of what is behind the, uh, the, the motivation behind writing this book. So Jump Ball, what, what, brought you guys together to writing uh, Black Liberation uh, through the marketplace? Well, I'll just say that I think that classical liberals have and libertarian scholars have an incredible amount to offer on race and discrimination, but no one knows that. (laughs) That's not something we're known for. We're not the people you think of when you think of race and discrimination. And yet, as a scholar myself, I was familiar with Robert Higgs and Gary Becker and the history of Zora Neale Hurston and Rose Wilder Lane, you know, one of the uh, three mothers of libertarianism working for a black newspaper. There's so much in this history that need, needed to all be put together into one place. And so that was really the, the impetus uh, for the book. And um, Marcus studied under David Beto, who is, mm. is one of a great libertarian historian and looking specifically at civil rights heroes and people who you may not expect a libertarian historian to to focus on. And so it's been really, really wonderful to have two libertarian classical liberal thinkers, one a philosopher, one a historian, uh, bringing our different insights together. Marcus, yeah, yeah, what what are your thoughts there? Yeah, really early on, I mean, Rachel had this idea. She had a series of lectures and they were quite good. um, And somebody recommended that she reach out to David and she reached out to David. I think David told her, this is a great project, but I'm too busy. But I have a graduate student who just graduated, right? Um, he probably has the time. And so he put us in touch with one another. But just to echo what Rachel said, uh, Black Liberation to the Marketplace um, really brings together this deep, deep, deep intellectual tradition and a deep uh, sort of well of work that's been done by classical liberal and libertarian thinkers. And we've put it all in one place. You can kind of think of it as a narrative history of Black America, um, but you can also think of it as um, as a place we could go and really access all this sort of as sort of a jumping off point into all this scholarship that's out there. Um, if you were to like follow the footnotes, um, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and also, I think that what we offer is a sort of a third way, if you will, right between sort of the 1619 projects narrative for America, and sort of what you might call the sort of American exceptionalism narrative of uh, sort of maybe American conservatives, we're in between, we want to recognize past injustices, while not jettisoning our liberal values. Talk to us about that too. I'm, I'm curious, how does that breakdown look? Because this is something you've seen a lot of folks, they don't even want to have a conversation because it seems like if you even if you even acknowledge the, the past injustices or the past sins of America, that somehow you're, you're not on board with the American, you know, the idea of, a, of a America, right? You're, you're not a patriot. You're not a nationalist, whatever the, the ism you want to attach to it, right? So what, what are you guys seeing as, as kind of being that middle ground where you're bridging that divide? I always tell my students, I mean, one of the things that makes America sort of exceptional is the fact that we're willing to actually grapple with 
past injustice that's mm-hmm. been committed by Americans. If you think about the Soviet Union, uh, you think about the sort of type of censorship about their past, about their history, about the whole of the war that Stalin committed against Ukraine, right? These things are swept under the rug. And so one of the things that actually makes America exceptional and great is the willingness to engage and to acknowledge, right, past injustices, whether it be against Native Americans, whether it be against Black Americans, whether it be uh, against Nat- uh, Japanese Americans, right? Japanese internment during World War II. Mm-hmm. Part of the greatness of our liberal society is that it's flexible and 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 sort of able to account and acknowledge um, injustice without saying that, you know, the fundamental ideals are flawed. And that's what Rachel and I have tried to do throughout the book is demonstrate that the problems and the atrocities oftentimes that black Americans face weren't because of market capitalism. They weren't because of free enterprise. They weren't because of liberalism. In many cases, it was the abrogation of our values. Um, it was the abandonment of our values that led to those abuses. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If, if what we're conserving is a classical liberal and small R Republican founding, then we're, we're thinking about the values of private property and freedom of contract and and equal protection of the rule of law. And if I really believe in those things, and I really do, I wrote my dissertation on private property rights, okay? I really believe that this is part of human dignity, truly. Then I have to be just as angry and upset uh, when those things are violated uh, among some subset of the population. And as a free marketeer, I have to really grieve the fact that a huge part of the population couldn't fully participate in the economy and we all lost out. Hmm. on what they had to offer. And that's part of our story, too. So if we really believe in the values that Americans ascribe to, then we have to, in a way, answer for the ways in which we violated those very values. John Ball, what's um, something that as you're going through, and maybe this is more of a Marcus question because you're the historian, but maybe as you're going through the history, you're digging through the the, the text and stuff, what's something that was surprising that you uncovered that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think the thing that always horrifies me the most is the convict leasing system that was set up in the United States um, during Reconstruction um, and just after Reconstruction. Um, and that history is quite horrifying. You know, I had I've read about the Gulag. I teach uh, the Global Cold War, and what was set up in the South um, from 1873 to you know, on um, the series of convict leasing was just really quite horrific. What would happen oftentimes is there was a whole new series of laws that were passed. We called them the pig laws that criminalized behavior that before hadn't been criminal. Um, there were new vagrancy laws that were passed where if a black man was in a town, any white person uh, could sort of stop them and ask them to identify themselves. If they couldn't identify themselves as part of the community, didn't have enough money on them, um, usually about $10, which is quite a bit of money in 1870s, 1880s then a sheriff could take them in uh, and charge them with vagrancy and hit them with fees. And then what that locality could do is rent that person out to a corporation such as the Comer Mines in Birmingham. And those people, predominantly black men, but some white men were caught up in the system as well, then went to work in horrific conditions in which the, um, we're talking tens of thousands of of people died because of lack of food, um, you know, sort of very unsanitary conditions, hard work, hard labor, um, it's even been described as, you know, worse than slavery um, because there was no economic incentive of the corporation or the mines to sort of take care of the individual. And so those stories reminded me a great deal of sort of the, the work camps and the gulags in the Soviet Union. And I was really troubled um, when we delved into that history. Wow. 
Yeah, that that's something that I I mean I never heard of. I'm sure most of the audience listening today they never heard that either. Uh, Rachel, was there anything that you were you were going through that you uncovered that you were like, wow? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, since since Marcus did did kind of a negative one, I'll do a positive one. <laughs> yeah, bring bring, is, the, uh, bring the positivity back. <laughs> bring the, no, but it, I I I was as shocked uh, by the convict leasing program as he was. The thing that shocked me because I've been in the liberty movement all my life is that I was unaware of what a role really proto-libertarians played in the abolitionist movement um, to, to discover that uh, William Lloyd Garrison was a free marketeer. I didn't know that. No one ever told us that in school. He was a serious free marketeer. He was a student of Richard Cobden uh, in England who was anti-corn law and anti-slavery. And, and uh, uh, William Lloyd Garrison said he wanted to close every tariff house in the, uh, across the globe. You know, he was very extreme. And so were a lot of his followers. Uh, Frederick Douglass became a, a loud and proud classical liberal himself. And then you end up getting this stream of pro-black classical liberals, two of the founders of the NAACP. Uh, people like Rose Wilder Lane writing for the Pittsburgh Courier and fighting for black rights from a libertarian perspective. So it was really exciting, actually, to discover that and maybe we're not known for that, but maybe we should be. There's actually quite a pro-black classical liberal tradition. Interesting. See, we're learning some new stuff every single day here in the episodes of The Brian Nichols Show. You, you don't usually sign up for that. Usually folks sign up for like the sales and marketing tips as it per pertains to politics and, and business. But every now and then we'll get a history lesson. I love it. And uh, hey, we'll uncover some new things every now and then too. So that's exciting too. But let's talk about this idea of black liberation. Yes, through the marketplace. And I think that's something that is super important to focus on because, and we, we talked about this uh, on a past episode I mentioned uh, earlier, where there used to be this black Wall Street, right? And this was, it was, it was something that not only was a, a predominantly like a predominant area where, where blacks were having success, but in many cases they were outperforming their white counterparts in those areas. So what, what, what does that look like? Black liberation through the marketplace. In the world of wine, there are so many choices, and that's why Blood of Tyrants Wine has tyrants losing their heads. Whether you're looking for a new go-to at home or want to impress your friends at a party, Blood of Tyrants Wine has you covered. And if you're trying to get rid of some pesky tyrants in your life, well, we've got that covered too. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash wine and get $5 off your order. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash wine. Free men don't ask permission, so take a sip. You'll be glad you did. Well, I think we need to remember that black Americans are Americans uh, and they're very entrepreneurial. They have, uh, you know, as a, as a community, uh, you know, obviously we're always, um, I don't want to say stereotyping, but we're always thinking statistically, right? So yes, there may be some black Marxists out there who hate capitalism. Um, but I think the far left really overplays their hand in this regard. I think black Americans are, are Americans. Mm -hmm. They, they want to be uh, capitalists. They want to own business. They want to make money just like everybody else. And so I think, um, you know, in the book, what we say is, yes, we have this history many times, you know, there was a white envy um, and envy is something, it's a vice that's deeply incompatible with a free society because you have to know that when someone else is doing well, they're doing well because they're serving you, right? And so we're all winning together. And that's a really important insight that, that if we lose that, we can become violent in our envy towards others. And so taking that as a, as a history lesson and then moving forward and looking at economic freedom as a major, major solution for Black Americans. Um, and, and there's a ton of ideas that we discuss, but of course you have 
favorites of the liberty movement, like occupational licensing reform, good old lower taxes and deregulation, um, right? But many others, like, for instance, um, people who are uh, on welfare, um, not punishing them for saving money, right? Treating them like savers, just like we reward rich people for saving instead of treating them like mere consumers. You know, there's lots of little things that we can do to free up uh, black America economically so that they can flourish uh, as well. Yeah, and I don't want to interject, Marcus, but one thing that I will say, we're going to give credit where credit's due. One thing we can do is focus on the war on drugs and how that has disproportionately impacted a lot of our black Americans. And you know what? Credit where credit's due today. President Biden just announced that he's going to start looking at um, getting rid of a lot of these. Uh, number one, the classification of marijuana as a, a le- uh, is it level one, I think is the, the classification. It's ridiculous. Same as fentanyl and heroin. What? Insanity. So the fact that that's the case, but also um, you know, if you were in jail for mere possession of marijuana, looking at, at expunging those those records, it looks like, you know, hey, step in the right direction and absolutely credit where credit's due. I think it's important for us to talk about not just, you know, the the politics, but the the principles, the issues that really matter that are going to bring people closer to freedom, regardless of who those people are. They're the ones bringing it forward. Now, yes, of course, this was entirely a political ploy because he could have easily done this back in 2021. But <laughs> at the same point in time, I am not going to, uh, you know, cast any dispersions because of the fact that he's actually doing this now. So I wanted to say that I think that's a step in the right direction. Marcus, what were your thoughts? Yeah, so I think that when we talk about Black Wall Street, it's it's important to remember, you know, that's an allusion to Tulsa. It's an allusion yep. to uh, Greenwood, the Greenwood community that was right across the street from, uh, right across the tracks, right from White Tulsa. Um, and I think the lesson we go through that in sort of excruciating and painful detail in the book, but one of the lessons from that episode is that entrepreneurship was great. It lifted uh, Black Americans and, and Greenwood to a level of prosperity that was on par with many of their white neighbors. Um, but what, what broke down was the rule of law in Tulsa, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so black Americans can be liberated through entrepreneurship. They can pull themselves up, you know, as, as Booker T. Washington said, sort of, you know, you know, put your bucket down where you are, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, et cetera. But we've got to have, you know, the, the adherence to the just rule of law, uh, because without that, then envy as sort of racial, uh, appeal to earlier, uh, can kick in and then you can have an atrocity like we saw in Tulsa. And so I think um, I think entrepreneurship is extraordinarily important. I think, you know, getting the state out of the way, removing sort of regulatory barriers. Um, and uh, I think also it's really important that uh, we recognize, right, the past injustices as communities. Like I live in mm-hmm. Montgomery, Alabama, and there's a lot of really good work being done here by the Equal Justice Initiative by Brian Stevenson and others mm-hmm. uh, to acknowledge sort of um, past injustices in a way that can bring both white and black uh, people who live in Montgomery and in Alabama together to sort of share in our past, right? And then perhaps once we've dealt with the past, we can reconcile and move forward together um, as simply Alabamians rather than white Alabamians or black Alabamians. And Marcus, so, could you take a, a step further maybe even? Like what what does that look like? Because I think sometimes, and I'm not saying that, that that's what this is, but sometimes it's like we will, we'll hear politicians say like, yes, we're going to come together and it just feels like an empty platitude. And it's like, well, what, what does that actually look like when we can, we can say, yeah, we can move forward now. What does that moment look like? Rachel, do you want to talk about transitional justice? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the ideas and I, we borrow this from our friend Anthony Bradley at the King's college, who's a black classical liberal thinker. Um, You know, he's applying this idea that's really from international situations called transitional justice, post-apartheid societies and things like that. Um, you know, that has to do with 
handling the pass well. And I think one of the confusions, it's like you can fall off the horse on either side, right? So if you go totally on the social justice side, what you end up doing is you want to, it's like a mission creep. You want to sort of address every possible oppression ever. And then you end up inventing some that don't even exist, right? And you're rolling them all in. And so nothing is really ever addressed, right? If everything is being addressed, nothing's being addressed. Then on the other hand, you have la, 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 I don't want to hear it. You know, we fixed it. Let's move on, right? And that doesn't really work either because these wounds are very real. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that conservatives and libertarians and classical liberals can add to this uh, project of transitional justice is keeping our projects hyper-local and hyper-focused on real crimes that actually happen. So I always use the example of the Bruce family. The Bruce family in California had a black beach. Um, They were harassed constantly by everyone. And then finally the city just took it, eminent domain abuse, right? The city just took it. And then years later now, finally, the Bruce family has received that beach back and it's worth millions of dollars. Good for the Bruce's. That was their property. It should not have been taken and it was right to return it. So there are cases like that where we can actually fix what happened. And there are other cases where we just need to properly memorialize it, right? We, We need to have the right kind of institutional memory for people who survived. And I think sometimes there's too much talk about um, when we talk about things like reparations or institutional memory, we're always going back, way back to slavery. But Jim Crow is in living memory, my friends. Mm-hmm. We have friends who perpetrated it and we have friends who suffered through it and they're still alive. Yep. And so there's a lot we can do uh, to memorialize those people and honor honor their memory. And their, their children are still, um, you know, paying for what happened. 1985. Um, so I... I lived in Philadelphia for about seven and a half-ish years until I moved out here to Indiana back at the beginning of the year because things got really bad. Um, but one thing I didn't realize in learning about Philadelphia history as I was living out there, 1985 was the move bombings. Uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, there was a, a group of, I'm not sure what you'd want to call them, activists more or less, um, in a predominantly black uh, neighborhood. And the uh, city of Philadelphia uh, police department and them did not get along. And there ended up, there was a standoff of some sorts. And the rational thing that the police department did was, of course, to firebomb an entire row of row homes. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Philadelphia and how the the housing looks in Philadelphia, every home in greater, like the, the actual city itself, are all connected. They're all row homes. So you have a, you know, usually like a 1100 or so square foot, uh, row, like rectangle row home that's connected. So what ended up happening was 300 people lost their homes. Uh, 11 people lost their lives. I think half of them were children. So this is 1985. That's not even just, you know, what, 37 ish years ago, 38 years ago. So you talk about being fresh in, in memory. It's not even a matter of it having to be Jim Crow or slavery. It's a matter of yeah. people that I was probably neighbors with that saw this happen and had family that was impacted by it. Because 300 families, you don't think that that it's exponentially more than just those 300 families. It's it's them and then their surrounding families, their friends, their community. They are all impacted by it. So yes, the wounds are very real. It's something that I think we have to, you know, not just as libertarians, but also in the greater liberty movement, conservatives, Republicans, I don't care what you identify as, we have to do a better job in having these conversations because yeah, the the wounds are there. They are real. Um, so yeah, thank you for both Rachel and Marcus helping raise this uh, conversation up onto our, our regular discourse. So uh, with that being said, we are 
already, unfortunately, at the part where we have to get ready to start saying goodbye. But before we get there, final thoughts for the audience. And how about this? I'll, I'll kick things off for you guys because I'm going to go ahead and put the old feather in my cap. Uh, yeah, episode 600. We are there today, folks. 600 episodes. <laughs> cannot believe it. Um, and I truly cannot do it without uh, all you guys out there, the Brian Nichols Show audience, the tens of thousands of folks out there who listen to the episodes that we we drop five days a week. I, I can't thank you guys enough. And uh, honestly, we wouldn't be doing this unless we knew it was making a difference. And hey, it is. Uh, we're able to go out and have you know the opportunity to go on platforms like Tim Pool, uh, you know, and Timcast, and reach quite literally hundreds of thousands of folks in one sitting. Yeah, that's pretty darn cool. So. Thank you, guys. I'm getting all choked up. Yeah. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Rachel, final thoughts you have here for the Brian Nichols Show audience today. Well, I just want to say this, which is that Marcus and I worked very hard to make this book very readable. This is written for a popular audience, and it, it moves. It moves right along. We cover a lot of ground, and we, we move quickly. And um, and we're getting really good reviews. So please actually buy the book. I know it's fun to listen to podcasts, <laughs> but there's so much more in the book itself. And I would love for you to actually read it and review it on Amazon and follow me on Twitter and tell me what you think. Please engage with the book. Perfect. Marcus. Yeah, I think that Americans, to jump off of what Rachel just said, are searching for a sort of a new narrative, right? And that narrative is currently being provided um by the loudest voices on the left, okay? We've got the 1619 Project, and they're they're putting forward a particular narrative. Um, what we offer your audience, what we offer Americans, is a narrative that really does address past injustice, true injustice that happened in the past without jettisoning those, those founding principles that we all love, well, most of us love, as Americans, right? Um, and so I really do think that the book is important um, for a variety of reasons, not just because we wrote it. We actually, we wanted someone else to write the book, but we eventually were like, no one else has written the book. So someone has to write the book. And I really do think that um, Black Liberation Through the Marketplace offers a true narrative that addresses past injustice, but also a hopeful narrative of how we can come together as Americans and move forward into the 21st century. Black Liberation Through the Marketplace, Rachel Ferguson, Marcus Witcher, thank you for joining us today. And folks, I guess a couple things. We have some uh, some homework here for you. Number one, if you got some value from today's episode, well, number one, go buy this book. We'll make sure we include the link in the show notes so uh, you don't have to go ahead and hunt down uh, the, the book. But again, just go ahead and search Black Liberation Through the Marketplace. You'll find it over on Amazon. But yes, we will include it for you in those show notes, as I mentioned. Uh, that's number one. Number two, share today's episode. When you do, please go ahead, tag yours truly at B. Nichols Liberty. Tag Rachel at Liberty Ethics. Don't tag Marcus. He didn't want to be tagged on Twitter. Um, but <laughs> you, you can make sure you let Rachel know that you enjoyed hearing Marcus on the uh, the episode. But number three, um, if folks, you really enjoyed the episode, well, go ahead and uh, go ahead. Give us a, a five-star rating and review and tell us in the, the notes that you you particularly enjoyed this episode today. I know other folks like to hear about it as well. And uh, otherwise, thank you, uh, Rachel Marcus, for joining us. I know this is a very important conversation. Yeah, we're going to keep on having it. So thank you for joining us. Uh, and otherwise, folks, by the way, I'll make sure I include that other episode I was talking about where we are talking about renewing Black Wall Street right here. Otherwise, thank you for joining us on today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Looking forward to our Friday episode. And oh, by the way, please go ahead and support our sponsors. We have Right Strategies and Stratus IP, our Stratus IP studio sponsor. Please go ahead and support them over at briannicholsshow.com forward slash sponsor. Oh, one last thing. By the way, I'm sorry. I have to, I have to share this because uh, we just got some new stuff over at uh, our, our shop. So I got to share 
a couple of the new designs. Now, one of my secret uh, like passion projects I do in the side is I like to do some graphic design stuff. So we have some new swag. Uh, here, I'll go scroll up. Let's see. Gotta go to page. Oh, wrong page. All right, so we have some new stuff. One, we have our now that's what we call tyranny shirt with a Klaus Schwab in the background. Always fun. We have our good ideas don't require force hoodie. New design. We have our what happened in 1971 design. Our no farmers, no food shirt. And go back. You can do it. See, your dog likes it. <laughs> oh, we have to go back. Here we go. And then on page one, here we go. We have our Liberty Legends shirt. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that one. You like that one, right? I like that one. I don't know why the back button's not working here. Goodness gracious. And then we have one more. And it is our Liberty No Mark shirts. So <laughs> we have some new swag, folks. You want to go ahead and grab uh, any of those new designs, head to briannicholshow.com forward slash shop. Make sure you use code TBNS at checkout. That's all I got for you. Go have a great rest of your Thursday, folks. With that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols Show for Rachel Ferguson and Marcus Witcher. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation. And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to The Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.